Alright, so here we are with another reaction podcast, the Action Reaction Podcast. We've had a few weeks since the episode came out. We got to see people who like our band's reaction and people that have listened, but also we've got a chance to digest this episode. So I want to go around the room and see what you guys think. I'll go with a guy who is in the band with me in this era, Steve. How do you feel about the episode? How do you feel about the reaction to it so far? Oh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite episodes. You see, I'm a big fan of the podcast because it's a well-produced telling of a part of my life. So I feel like for for me and you, this is going to be a really it's probably, you know, one of our some of our favorite episodes here. Great to talk to Paul and PJ again about the old days and I love listening to those guys talk. Um Great times. Great times. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. Trevor, what did you think? Did you learn anything from this episode that you didn't already know about us for being in, <laughs> being in the band with us for all these years and being friends with us for all these years? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I Specifically, I'm not sure at the moment, but just like in general, the kind of just the nitty gritty of, of the story, you know, just hearing a lot of the the little details. And I love how you guys kind of went through each song you know, I still have questions about the songs. Maybe we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, and just just how the story kind of unfolded too. I mean, I, I didn't know every detail. So um it was enlightening and fun. I lo- I feel like I'm listening to my friends talk for a while, which is really cool. And uh what an era, you know? Yeah. We weren't very forthcoming at the time with some of the details of what was going right. on with the band. We always tried to put up, up the cheery disposition of the band. Everything is A-OK at all times. So it was good to get honest about things, I think. Yeah, I definitely wonder how much people out there might have been taken aback by this, by the you know, the, the full story of what of what was going on. But I feel like some people, you know, a lot of people kind of knew what was going on, but I don't know. Corey, you were a kid at the time that action came out. We're a high school kid anyway, right? You said you were traveling, yeah. playing soccer. So uh, yeah, I think probably a yeah. sophomore in, uh, in high school, I think. Right. So you had a experience of this. Were you, were you at the action release party? I know Trev was, uh, I, you know, I was at, I, I want to say I was, but so many shows at Lago back then, like, they kind of mix for me now too, like which ones I was at or not. I mean, I remember the power going out at the rewind one. So it's a mystery if I was there or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool to think that we could have all been at the same lager show way back then. Yeah. So I might have not been though, because like I said, I got the record and then I went to Spain with my soccer team. So I probably was there when the show was happening. So did you go to the record store, bought the CD, and then immediately. To Spain. Within a couple of days, I, yeah, I bought it. Nice. Probably Best Buy is probably where I bought it, yeah. Bane nice. in Spain. That's right. <laughs> Bane got a little bit of trouble in Spain, but it's all good. <laughs> oh, really? That is that for another pod? That's for another pod, yeah. Yeah, so, Trev, you, I mean, we can get into it. You said you had a few, qu- does anything come to mind, questions you had about songs? So, I, I always wondered about the hard cutoff, you know, at the end of... It's the way you are. And it's just the weirdest cut at the end of that song. (laughs) 
I was wondering whose decision that was. Always wondered that. I don't know who you're talking about. I can't even remember how that is like a hard cutoff, but probably Sean's, honestly. Like, that song was kind of built, you know? I, do you think he, he probably like just looped and extended that song, right? We really let him kind of go wild with that one. Does it on the CD go directly? Maybe it cuts weird, like hard cuts into No, it's just like, getting because, started. Because I know you guys did a lot of really cool transitions, which you know I'm a huge fan of. But that was just one of the one. It was like it was just so bizarre. It's one of those things that like probably annoyed me at the time, but like now in my older days, I'm like, gosh, that's so bold and just weird and awesome. You know, I'm gonna guess Sean was trying to do something disruptive. Yeah. Yes, probably. Well, I, I, yeah, I was just kind of wondering. Yeah, was it a, a Sean choice or was somebody like, oh, we gotta. We gotta just cut this off weird, you know? You guys don't remember that? We we gotta go to the tape, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we'll listen to it now. Yeah. Hey, I gotta tell you guys something that was driving me crazy in editing this episode, and you probably noticed it. It's very, very minor. But when you listen to the CD, that transition we talked about a lot between Time in a Picture and Coldest the Calendars, on the CD, it it perfectly goes oh, into right. it. But when the tracks are separate and you're trying to like line it up perfectly so there's no sort mm-hmm. of skip whatsoever, it doesn't... Uh, dude, I shifted those files by a millisecond a million times trying to make it perfect, but I could not make it perfect, no matter what I did. You're and saying if you drag the, the files from the CD in, they don't connect or something? It, or? It's like I downloaded both, you know, streaming... I had both files... I just mm. couldn't get it to be like flawless. There, yeah. there was a slight like, I don't know if people notice it. Maybe I'm calling myself out here. Maybe I should have done a better job. That's very minor. I, do, I highly doubt anyone noticed that slight bit of skip in there, but it, it happens. I don't think I did. I mean, whatever you guys did on the record was was perfect. It was just... Oh, yeah. On the record, it's fine. I had a couple so people. Cool. A couple people told me about it. Did they? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, people were like, yo, cool pod, but what was up with that skip? Yeah. Hey, something I have on my list is that we didn't mention... I like writing down things we didn't mention in the episode, saving mm-hmm. them for these recaps. Yeah. But uh, the the hook in Open Up was inspired by a Duncan Sheik song. And I oh, imagine a lot of people yeah. don't pick up a Duncan Sheik influence <laughs> in that song. <laughs> but from his song, Genius, which is from the first song on the album, Daylight, which came out like 2001 or two something. But the... Yeah, in that song, if you listen, you'll notice he said, what does he say? He says, I wish that I could be there. Yeah, yeah. Hardly you worth telling. You don't really telling. need to know every last detail. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's oh, what it nice. was.
that I actually talked about that on a podcast recently. I don't know if it was one hit thunder or what, but I talked about that, how we, maybe it was when we did our Duncan Sheik episode of one hit thunder. I talked about how we kind of, I wouldn't say ripped that off, but we were definitely inspired by it's it. It's a unique interval. Yeah. Mm. Right. I don't know if you have more things when it comes to the songs, Steve, but I definitely have some, some things that I, I wanted to talk about as far as like us, the current lineup of punchline, the longest running ever lineup of punchline. So I want to say that I, I don't know if you felt this way, Steve, but the way that things happened at that time, how we were so like, we're only moving forward. We don't want to hear about Paul. That's in the past. I kind of felt like with action. Yeah, we played. Obviously, we still played some of the songs live. But if people wanted to talk to me about how much they like action or whatever, I I almost felt like action was like an ex-girlfriend I didn't want to talk about or think about anymore. Mm. And I only wanted to think about moving forward. And I think for years and years, I just was just focused on our current album or what was next and didn't want to like dive into the nostalgia of action because Mm -hmm. I had all these like bad feelings about like, you know, Paul leaving the band and people talking to us about it. I was always Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to talk about that. So like opening up all these old videos and all this old nostalgia stuff, I kind of felt like I even went a little overboard with posting stuff. I kind of started to be like, ah, am I posting too much stuff? Am I living in the past too much here? But I kind of felt like it was okay because we released the episode and it was an excuse to post all this stuff. But I hope that didn't make uh, Corey and Trev feel weird about all the fact the fact that you're posting all that stuff. I feel like I'm more fond of this era now than I've ever been, probably for that same reason that it's taken some time to heal to, yeah. to heal <laughs> from it. But I, right. I look back on it and I'm I, I wonder should we have taken a break? I mean, I know we had shows the next day and probably on the calendar, but I feel like. Maybe as a young man, I was too. We have to keep going. We cannot stop even for a second. And now I wonder like, what if we had taken, you know, three months off, tried to like talk to Paul or something. But I think by that point we were so, the only way to move forward was to really like, you know, turn our backs on him as he did to us. It was very hard to be compassionate at that, at that point, that far into things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, hearing him say, and it's funny, like me and Paul were, were texting, you know, before the episode came out in that first week about it. And it's funny to like talk to him about things with that era for the first time ever now. But, uh, you know, like how he said everyone in his life thought it was a bad idea or he could tell that like everybody in his world thought it was a bad idea. Like I, I didn't see, I didn't see that. And I don't know what it would have done for me then. It's just just the perspective now from the great lens of time is something else. Well, no, you know, I I loved seeing all the um, the footage that you were posting and everything, Chris. I I thought that was super cool. It's so cool that you have that stuff. Yeah, you know? I did think one thing that was really cool as a studio nerd, um, kind of illuminating to me is that you guys were using an SM7 to record vocals for, for, I mean, I presumably all of the vocals, right? I mean, some of those f- felt like, oh, this is the take you're filming right now, you know? Um, it was, yeah. And I, I was wondering that actually, or like when I watched one of the clips, I was like, 
whoa, you guys were using an SM7? Like, cool. And uh, somebody was like, said that same comment in, in one of the, the feeds. I, I think that's a cool telling thing. I mean, it's the same with the Michael Jackson story or whatever, but it's like, all that matters is the performer and the performance. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that matters, but but those are the top two, really. Like, and you guys were in a in a place where you were just giving everything to to your art, and and it was super cool. And and obviously that translates. And you can put up a three hundred dollar microphone on you, and there you go. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. I, I thought that was cool. I, I don't know if a lot of people care about that, but that to me, that was one thing. And it was just neat to see you guys in the studio. I, I mean, it, it's just another reminder, like we always need to be capturing this kind of stuff. I was just actually randomly the other day looking at some old photos and videos and came across a bunch of you know stuff from us making Lion like down in Nashville and, and in Pittsburgh and stuff. And it, just like having those kind of memories in a capsule it's pretty rad. So super cool that you were on top of that filming. Hey, I, yeah, I definitely noticed the SM7 thing. At the time, I didn't know the difference between microphones. I didn't know what an SM7 was. But now, as we're recording this <laughs> this episode, I could see three out of the four of us are using SM7s right. as a podcasting mic. It's the most popular podcasting mic there is. And now I think, I don't know if I speak for all of us, but usually if we're going to go to a studio, we expect to sing into a I don't know, five to $10,000 mic right. or something like a thousands of dollars sort of fancy microphone, I guess. I just want to say respect to your 421 there, Trev. Yeah, yeah, it's a <laughs> yeah. Great, this is a great mic. Yeah. Very, what similar, are you, a Tom? To <laughs> <laughs> a who? What are you, a Tom? Oh, like a, like a Tom drum. You know, a, a similar kind of a mic to, to the SM7. I, I feel like I did a shootout a while years ago with my good buddy Vince Ratty on my voice, um, just trying to pick out a mic for myself. And the SM7 was was not a favorite of mine. But uh, it's a great mic and it's simple and, you know, it kind of... I, I also wonder if that was a choice because of... I know you guys talked a little bit about kind of the ruggedness of the studio and like sometimes if you don't have a great room, a mic like an SM7 is a good choice because you're not getting like a ton of room like you might get from a condenser mic. Um, this should just, just become like a, a nerdy gear talk, I think, for this the rest a, of the this pod. This is becoming way too... <laughs> yeah. This is too much microphone talk. There's too much other stuff to talk about with this, uh, for sure. But yeah, I think... Steve, I, I want to go back to Steve's point for a second. Steve, I wonder, there's those moments in the history of our band, there's going to be a lot coming up, where it's like, did we make the right decision? No regrets. <laughs> But did we make the right decision? And looking back, dude, taking a few months off to maybe get things together. But it was hard not to be really mad about the fact that it wasn't like right. Paul quit before we left for the show. It was we were at the show and right. we were like left high and dry. It was hard not to at that point be so mad and be like, whatever, screw this. We're going forward. But I wonder, you know, when I look at our grand scheme of decisions, if the people that were in our orbit who were either involved, had vested interest in our band, you know, be it record labels, booking agents, management, whatever, everything, possible management, other things like that, that if they saw like, oh, these guys can't keep it together. Oh, Mm -hmm. this guy who sings all over this album now isn't in the band anymore. Like, 
less than a year after they released the album, we got to stay away from this band. They can't keep it together. Yeah, I was going to say that that's probably what subconsciously was going through your guys' heads. So I know that's what be going through my head in those shoes is like, we can't say no to that tour. We can't not do that because mm-hmm. it's just a sign of weakness, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, we wanted to put out the, the yeah, always that we were it's almost like the same as the analogy of like the bigger trailer and the bigger van as you go now. Oh, now we have the 15 passenger van with a big ass trailer behind it. Same thing. You don't want to, you don't want the illusion that you took a step back. It's always like next bigger tour, bigger tour, next album. And also probably another thing, Steve is being on, if we weren't on tour, what were we going to do at home for months? It's not like we had careers to go back home to. How could we take months off? I mean, I guess we could have worked side jobs. I think we had a lot of stuff on the calendar, too, because we knew that Paul was better when we were on tour. It was mm-hmm. when we would go home for long stretches or short stretches that he would 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 slip up and kind of get further away from us. Well, hey, question for you. Well, two two things. One One to quickly play... The devil's advocate is, what if you guys did take a break then? I And I'm all about, you know, preserve your mental health and your body, mind, whatever. Take your time that you need. But play devil's advocate. What if you guys did take a break and then that was the end of the band? We wouldn't be here right now. Mm-hmm. You never know. Uh, but I was going to say, I was curious, like, what was that next? Okay, what was that next day like? What was the next couple months like i mean did you guys just play as a three-piece like that show or whatever you're gonna have to tune into the next episode of the podcast yeah oh shit spoiler another one (laughs) that's too many spoilers that's when that's when i come in when and i say it's not the end of the action era because you guys are still touring action pretty hard with me when when i was merching technically we uh you know there was a lot more supporting the release of action after Paul left, but it just felt more natural to end the episode when Paul leaves and start right. the 37 everywhere episode where Greg sure. joins, joins the picture. But Greg didn't come in that day or something like, uh, actually he did. Yes. Did he, he did. really? <laughs> we'll get into that in the 37 oh, everywhere okay. episode. But it All was... right, everybody stay tuned. Cause this is, I'm going to learn something here too. I'm, I'm excited. Steve. Do you think we're the, now? maybe not the first band. I know there's some like, I'm sure like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or somebody like that probably, but that was the fastest replace. I mean, Mm -hmm. once again, I don't want to get into it. That's all, that's all stuff for the next episode, but that was a fast, seamless, not uh, seamless. I don't know if that's the right word, but (laughs) it was, it was a fast. Mm -hmm. Hey, I, I was I was a good I, I had a similar kind of story which we can get into the next episode when I joined Zoloff and learned their songs in the right. van ride right. to the next show. So right. Right. I, I maybe I could uh give Greg a run for his money on on that trivia. And I think that it's kind of a reoccurring thing with Punchline too, because in a, a later episode we'll get into me joining the band and it being <laughs> pretty fast <laughs> there thing. is never yeah. any sort there is never any downtime it is like right. next day every time like it's it's pretty Corey wild. was cory was brokered into the band we'll get it yeah <laughs> cory came to us in a in sort of a deal that we can get into later it's oh pretty, my god it's pretty funny well, um, hey, hey something we didn't talk about is the album artwork for action the oh album yes cover. i was curious about that too 
So the album cover... An Atwood? Yes. It was designed by Brandon Atwood. It was a picture that we had of Paul's legs from recording at Mike Ofka's Innovation Studios in Steubenville. Paul was out back leaning against uh, a support pole and... We had this had this picture. We thought it was cool, and I think we wanted to do something that had a predominantly white cover, like white negative space with something. And I think I think the art's pretty cool. You know what strikes me as funny about that is that uh, clearly Paul's wearing like baggy pants in that. Like that that it, that has been out of style for a little bit. But I feel like that now I see my nephews and nieces like show up to family stuff and they could be on the cover of action. So like, I feel like it's, it's come all back around. I like the, whatever you want to call it, aesthetic. I like that it's white. I like how we had the punchline action is almost like one word with the different colors. I like all that stuff. I thought Brandon's pictures were cool, even though like our style was kind of, <laughs> kind of weird, but of the time. But dude, I kind of don't like the album cover. I think that was because... I think we were like under the gun. Like we got to get artwork done. We got to get artwork done. I think those photos were just intended to be like, yeah, maybe we're going to use some of them as the band photo on the inside. But I don't think those band photos were intended to be like the album cover. I think we just didn't have an idea. So there was no influence from the label on the artwork. Was that just you guys just deciding that? Because yeah, I I always thought that was kind of an interesting, it's, it's sort of a juxtaposition of like, okay, it's like, here we go. Here's an up-tempo album called Action, and there's just a dude who's just standing motionless. It's just legs. <laughs> it was. Is that like purposeful or it, uh, you know? It is like inaction. It, yeah, it's like like this guy's not getting ready to even walk, let alone run. You know, like this guy's definitely smoking a a menthol cigarette, leaning against the wall. <laughs> Some of those things that people might say are common sense things. I feel like eluded us a little bit. You know, all that being said, and I, I don't disagree with you, Chris, I, and like it probably could have been better, but I, I do feel like it has like an iconic kind of vibe to it. Like, yeah, I, at least, I like it. I think, I think if yeah. you asked Punchline fans, they would have a different opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, right. I think that you could like anything if the, if music, like the music. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, to be fair, like I look at some of the albums I liked from that time and I'm like, nothing really had that great of an album cover. Like, I can't even think of like, even the bands I loved. I listened to the the used debut album the other day. I'm like, this album cover kind of sucks. It's like- I'm glad I mean, that you know, it wasn't wasn't dark and yeah, stormy yeah. like a lot of right emo covers. Well, yeah, it was light. The, time, you know? Take This to Your Grave, that's been, can, we compared a lot in this episode. I mean, it's just a picture of them and just blue. Right. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that was was... like just a thing back then too, kind of keep it simple, have some part of the band's body on it. I I think another thing that translates to me from that is like it just feels effortless. You know, it doesn't. There's nothing about it that feels like, wait, I got to think about this, or like, geez, they really put a lot of like time and stuff into the. You know, like, and and the album has that feel too. Even though you guys obviously put a ton of work into it, like everything feels so natural effortless light you know what i mean like even the darker stuff it feels like bright so i I think Mm -hmm. i think it does kind of it really does work you know i mean maybe it's the the mind wanting to connect things after the fact um but but i think regardless like 
it, it just feels effortless. And I right. think anybody would say that about the album. It like not not in a way that you guys didn't put in the work and really craft everything, but everything just feels like easy and effortless and like there's nothing you have to really like, you know, rack your brain over, you know? Right. For sure. Chris, I liked what you said about heart transplant and why didn't we promote that song more? Why didn't we make a music video for that song? I think that we made it kind of hard for people in terms of us maybe not being as accessible as we could. Like the world was played on the radio, didn't have a video for that. Heart Transplant was our biggest song, didn't have a video for that. I feel like now my mindset is make things easy on people. Make it like, oh, that's their song. Okay. (laughs) Also, I would say that, dude, we were so close. We were on the right label. We were doing the right tours. Our band was growing. What we needed at that moment was just a music video that did two things. One, made us look a little larger than life, was filmed really nice and made us look like not normal guys. <laughs> made us look like, you know, celebrities. or Not celebrities. I don't know if that's the right word, but made us look... Larger than life. Larger than life. Yeah. And on top of that, think about that. That was the era of like TRL and Fuse TV and things like that. And we had a a fan base that we could have rallied. We saw that several times. Like we got our, the people that cared about us to rally behind us. We could have submitted our videos to these things if we had made it good video and been like, hey, couple thousand fans of ours who, you know, we interact with all the time, go all vote for us on mm-hmm. this thing. It, th- that's so common sense. How did we not do that? It drives yeah. me crazy. It I drives mean, it me was crazy. just a world. It was such a DIY world of we were making music videos for like, by this point, I don't, we hadn't even made a proper music video. So that was our first time we were learning how to do it. And our manager was a guy. It was his first time doing it. And this was our first time on a label, and the label was new, and our the people we toured with, it was their first time doing it. It was a lot to figure out. I don't think it even needed to be, obviously a preference would be like a big time music video, but I mean, you were filming so much back then, Chris, and stuff too. It's like, could have just cut stuff up. I mean, the Dead on Arrival video, I remember that being a huge video, and it was just right. footage from VFWs and stuff. He's, he's literally wearing a punchline hat in that music video, he, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and it's like, so I wonder why, like, your brain didn't click into, I'm just going to edit right. something together for this, you know? Yeah, uh, not to I, mention that you guys made a whole DVD for the album before. So, I know. like, yeah. it's like you made <laughs> several music videos. Good point. <laughs> we, like, honestly, Steve, we could have got, like, Johnny and Hora to, like, film us with those nice cameras from BBX and, like, even a performance video spliced with live footage. Like, yeah. we, we're idiots. Like, yeah. well, could have it could have been part of the, the, the feeling of, like, oh, well, now the label should they should kind of direct that and say like hey guys here's a budget to like like we're gonna step this up you know whereas like now we're back into that diy thing of like oh we're gonna make this ourselves or whatever but maybe it was that i was also wondering about the heart transplant thing well two questions one do you think because you guys had already kind of like done a version of heart transplant that you were sort of burn out on it and two whose idea was it to re-record and include heart transplant on the album i think that was always the plan we recorded it and really liked it and saw like okay maybe this is a demo and we'll re-record it and and we liked the song but people really liked it 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 was 
when we started playing it, I, I just remember people really liked it, and that helped amp up its cred in our catalog. And at the time, too, Trev, it wasn't... I mean, I guess people were on Napster and stuff by this time, but we hadn't released that song on a proper album. So... Right. People would have to either download it on Napster or LimeWire. Oh, people, or- people were downloading it on Napster for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. I was one of those people, so yeah. I, it was all over the <laughs> place, at, at least in Pittsburgh. I got to touch on something here real quick. Dude, if I would have put all... And it seems like there's a lot of it in this episode, the Fallout Boy talk. <laughs> and just... I feel like it was almost like, okay, guys, we get it. But the fact of the matter is... We were touring together a lot. If that it doesn't matter who that band was, it, that's who we were playing shows with. That's who we're touring with. That's who we were label mates with. Mm-hmm. And when I listen back to it, dude, if I would have put all of the stories in, it would have been like we were talking about them one hundred percent of the time instead of forty percent of the time. Right. <laughs> it's just it's just what was happening in our world, and it's crazy to talk about them so much because I know they don't give a shit about talking about us. But I got to tell you guys. The week that the action episode dropped, two things. Number one, we released an episode of Krista Makes a Podcast with JT from Hawthorne Heights. And he talks about how action, the album Action, was like a main reason why they wanted to record with Sean O'Keefe. So yeah, how did you guys get hooked up with producer Sean O'Keefe? Was that uh, was that through Victory Records? Uh, yeah, it actually was. Tony at Victory Records suggested Sean. Uh, we were already familiar with him because he recorded one of our favorite albums at the time, Take This to the, Your Grave by Fall Out Boy. Spittlefield, Remember Right Now, we were really excited about that album. And Punchline Action, you know, guys that we played tons of shows with, and we just thought that that was such a step up because it's a band that we were very familiar with. We knew them, and we knew their career up until that point, and we just thought that maybe Sean O'Keefe was the difference maker because we thought action was such a step up from their previous stuff. Uh, Now, I don't know if that is accurate. I've never talked to them about it, but I just absolutely love that record. So it was, it just seemed easy, a match made in heaven. And it seemed to, what we thought, to put us into the big time. And then that same day, it was like the day before, maybe the day after the action episode came out, Pete Wentz was on a podcast where they asked him about, he was talking about that band Turnstile and how they just had this, this thing about them that like makes them like rock stars or something. And he said when fallout boy was starting that there were only two bands that like saw that in them and took them on tour. And it was less than Jake and punchline. Listen, like I feel like, getting all those rejection letters, going back to that for Fall Out Boy. And, and, and there was only a couple of bands that kind of like took us under their wing, like Less Than Jake did and this band Punchline did. We didn't really have a lot of bands that took us out. And I always liked the spirit of that. And, I, and to me also, I liked when I would see hip hop, there was like this communal spirit. So it's cool. not like those dudes forgot about us or something, but it's just it's just crazy how much that they're part of our story at that time and how much how much little we're a part of their story we probably are minus you know the first couple tours well you know chris too it's like back then too i feel like that was kind of something happening that was normal uh where these bands were connected together labels like 
fans cared about the label. We talked about this on reaction episodes before. Like, you wanted the comp from that label because you trusted that that label was putting out music that you were going to like. And there was a ton of bands like that that were, like, so connected. I remember, like, me, I loved, um, you know, Story of the Year. And that band Letter Kills was kind of, like, always connected to them. They took them out and, like, had that thing going on. So I think that was, like, a normal thing to ha be happening back then. These, like, basically band manses. Newfound glory in <laughs> Midtown. Yeah, Exactly, yeah. Hey, the action DVD. I don't think we talked about that on the episode. Yeah. The first, like, was it the first 1,000 or 2,500 copies or... It might have been a 2,000 copies of something with action. It was a double disc where it came with that, with the DVD, the action DVD, which was, um, you know, it was just a bunch of stuff of us being goofy on tour for the most part. And it's it wasn't as like planned out and thought out as the Rewind DVD was. I think it was kind of thrown together. I remember like starting it and then being like, oh, I'm frustrated. I can't put this together. So our buddy Johnny finished putting it together. I think he did a good job, but I think we also just, it was just stuff we thought was funny, but it's cool that we did that. I didn't know it was so limited because I, I had it. So I must've had one of the first. Nice. I think we still have some. I do. I found them. I actually found them in my basement. Nice. And dude, it's, it's so nice. funny. Me and I found a bunch of that old footage because our manager, Jim Legrando is at my house and we were in the basement looking for those. And instead we found some DVDs, which I ended up ripping to get some of the footage that I put on the internet. And then the whole time there was this box of all the DVDs just like right in front of our faces on a shelf. I don't know how we missed it. But the problem is people don't really have DVD players too much anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like since the streaming, unless they go, can go in a video game system or something. But, you know, my girlfriend looked at me like I was crazy when I talk about DVDs. She's like, I don't have a DVD player. I'm like, okay, you act like you're like, you wouldn't have had a DVD player at some point. Um, but uh, anyway, yep. We did have DVDs that came with the CD. Pretty neat. Uh, what else is on your, I feel like you got a list over there, Steve, of, of things to mention. Two tour highlights. I remember the Alistair tour that we did, which was in the spring of 2004. So that was right shortly after Action came out. I think that was maybe our first full US tour on the album. But we started the tour with Alistair in Texas and we missed the last shows at Club Laga because we were leaving. We were like, missed it by a day or two the last show at club laga which the last two shows were death cab for cutie and then berlin project was technically the last show and i, I just remember like driving to texas and being bummed that we were missing those laga shows oh, wow. but then we went to the zoo in houston and i have a picture of chris <laughs> with a zonkey and on that tour was start trouble was the opening band oh, on that yeah. tour and me and chris love uh that guy's music what's his name luke luke uh luke walker luke walker yeah luke walker. yeah He's great start trouble and his side project bed destroyers we loved so many of those songs that are songs that are so good and just so few people ever heard them i feel like Summer Obsession, that's him, right? Yeah, yep. Summer that's Obsession. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, yeah. it's crazy. I guess maybe you realized the weight of it at the time, Steve. I think I was just, I didn't have the ability to look back and like feel 
sad or but like club Laga closing like that's this episode's the last time we'll talk about club Laga mm-hmm. because it, that was the end of it where did we i guess we'll talk about in the next episode i i don't remember where we did the 37 everywhere release show or anything i know um, where it's probably the horse the rex yeah we moved to the we moved to the rex after but it was crazy because laga held 1200 or 1400 people and we would play there and we would sell that many tickets i mean we i don't i don't know how many times we sold it out it was only a couple because it closed pretty quickly after we hit this like height with this record coming out but then after that there wasn't another venue that was so well known of a similar size. So we moved down to the Rex, which was under 600 capacity. So we went from drawing, you know, twice as many people and then we didn't have a room to go to and like never again do we do that many people in Pittsburgh. It's crazy. There's something to that probably. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, Hey, something I wanted to talk about that is just, I think a big thing is just the quality, the recording quality of action. I know me being a drummer, the drum tones on that record, I always love, and I think we all love producers, where it's like, you push play on a record, and I know who produced that record. And I think Sean had that, um, and mainly in the drum tones. And that record just sounds so amazing. And uh, it was cool to hear Sean talk about it. And uh, another thing I wanted to say, too, was that I really like the intro on the demo of Not Afraid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe we should incorporate that live somehow or something. I like that. It's a little like it's hammer like, on it's, things it's or whatever. It's so like punchline before action. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I like the it. long yeah. intro thing. <laughs> yeah. I love that that was your guys thing and like <laughs> it just tightening you guys up. Just, oh, just cut all those three minute intros. <laughs> there you go. Doesn't even yeah. need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say that even though we did do pre-production with Sean, there's still a lot of crazy. Think about heart transplant as a song. Think about how hard that song would be to cover. If you were like Mm -hmm. a local band starting out, there's so many feel changes and so many like little intricacies in that song. I mean, not to call out anyone in my, cover band karaoke band but we used to play that song and we stopped playing it just because it's one of those songs it's Mm -hmm. hard to remember it's Mm. so much going on if you're not playing it a lot then like you're like i don't know where i'm at in this song yeah right it's not like sean said we need to straighten this out and (laughs) make this not so wild and crazy it was still that way you know i loved what pj said about how after talking to sean for 30 seconds he realized how little he knew about drums and that's kind (laughs) of how i felt i mean it was very eye-opening this was the first time we worked with a producer who really got up in our business like that and i mean we learned so much i tell bands all the time go record with as many producers as you can i feel like that those are the biggest learning learning moments Yeah, that's one of the scariest moments in any musician's life. I think when you record your first time, real studio, real producer, Mark McCluskey was that for me, and uh, it was very scary. Yeah, yeah it's and brutal. I, I, I learned a lot <laughs> of what I didn't know about yeah drums for sure. Uh, something else I wanted to mention was when we toured with Mest, 
we played that show where we played in Pittsburgh, where Chris Ring mentioned that we were going to get a ten thousand dollar <laughs> offer or something. I I didn't even remember that, but that show was at this temporary venue, Rock Jungle, which oh, I guess yeah. this is where there was spillover after Laga closed. Yeah, but it was in it was in the building in Station Square in Pittsburgh. It was in the same building as as Hooters, where my brother worked. <laughs> Little fun fact. <laughs> So convenient. Uh, took Fallout Boy to Hooters, <laughs> but I saw Jimmy Eat World there. At nice Rock Jungle. Yeah. Trev, I was at that show. Nice. Yeah, so Sick, I saw Save Today there too. Yeah. At that Mess show, Tony, the the singer of Mess, he he told everybody that I was having a party at my house after <laughs> in the South Side and announced the address. And I think the show was on a Monday night, and we had a. <laughs> Big party at my house, and my roommates hated me. That, that doesn't wow. sound like something. That doesn't sound like Tony would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But my house was a mess, and my roommates were so mad because they were, they had jobs. Wow. Yeah. Well, looking back, I bet you they wish they could go to that party. Yeah, right that's now. right. 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 <laughs> that was yeah. a. That was a. That's crazy. Funny crazy ass party man and i i i guess what one thing i can comment on at this time is man steve i don't know how you felt but at this time man and i think that moment where i really was like oh boy and we mentioned it in here and this is a real memory right that moment we got the first week sales and like an email from, I don't know if it was John Janik or somebody, Adam or somebody at Fueled by Ramen. And it's like, this is the best first week that a mm-hmm. band has had on right. the label so far. Wow. Where I was like, oh boy, here we go. We're going to be a big band. Mm-hmm. Like, this is awesome. Like just to go back to that time and maybe make a few different decisions, make a music video, try to keep our band together, try to, you know, I, not that we didn't keep our band together, but try to keep at that moment, not show that weakness of like band breaking apart in some way. Right. I, I, a few different decisions and maybe, you know, Chris Ring said it and I feel like it, it sounds cocky to say it about ourselves, but I felt like we were set up. We mm-hmm. had a great recording Dude, I watch his old videos of us, and not that I'm saying that like we're the best band in the world, but I feel like we tried li- live. We tried mm-hmm. really hard to be energetic and get the crowd involved, and it's not like we're standing up there like bored playing our songs. Like Jesus, I <laughs> that I was trying so hard on stage, so sweaty, so like whatever. So I'm I'm saying like I think we sounded pretty good, like pretty pretty on for for not using a click or whatever. Like we sounded pretty good. Yeah. You and guys ripped. Mm-hmm. I, I really felt like we, we had it all minus a few like business decisions. Did you feel that way then? Do you guys like remember feeling that like, like, holy shit, like we're here, we've arrived, you know, in a sense, or, or is that all like hindsight? I just remember feeling like, we know what to do as far as what we want to do, and it's kind of working, but there's definitely a sense of feeling like lost and like, mm. hey, I think this is like a big moment, and are we doing everything right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it so much. I mean, the thing I was saying about, I remember with, with, with Fred, 
that Fred originally wanted to put out our record, like be a rec- like start a record label and put out our record. But I was like, no, be our manager. I mean, he didn't even want, that's not even what he wanted to do. <laughs> but we made him into that. Chris Ring booked a bunch of our shows as, as a promote, like on the promoter side. And we were like, you should be our booking agent. He's like, that's not what I do. We're like, <laughs> but you should still do it. So we're working with all these people who You're like- a great have, seller, uh, Steve. Who were like on their way to be doing the, the role that they're that they have at the time and i mean chris ring i i when i listen back to this i feel like he was one person in our orbit that really did have a good objective understanding about how to approach these things and being on a record label and touring and whatnot and i mean when he how he talks about the landscape at the time i was i was not on the same i was not on the same page i was like flailing to understand what to Mm. what to do i think that all i knew that i i'll think about this all the time all i knew was we got to do the next tour and the next tour has to be bigger than the last that was you know we need to get the next big tour and when i look back on it i'm like we should have took one less tour and had a few months or maybe mm-hmm. we made a couple music videos. Fueled by Ramen, hey, we're doing well. We're selling albums. You believe in us? Hey, can we get $5,000 budget to make two music videos? And we find some college kid or someone who will do a video on a budget for us. On the video talk, so, I mean, getting there is getting by. The, the van video, like, that, that's a video, right? That is. But, like, why, why did you guys do that song? Was there any thought process there for that? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think because... Paul, maybe Paul wasn't as much of a voice Mm. on Uh, that song. We were probably so tired. By that point, we were probably tired of Heart Transplant. Yeah. I'm not sure. And Jonathan London did that video for no money. And, you know, it was just an idea on a whim. We had a day in LA. And it's like, it is what it is. You're in a van or whatever. But like, I feel like that video with Heart Transplant, even something as simple as that with Heart Transplant could have, it was, I think more so that song wasn't one of the ones that was really catching on off there. I love that song. And I I know we all do, but yeah. yeah. Let's make a video for this deep cut. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) people did like that song though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I can think of at this time, and I mean, I guess this extends to many, many things, but I talked to PJ about this. I don't know if Steve was in the same boat. I feel like we were all in this boat at one point or another, but like having girlfriends and like being upset about it or being stressed <laughs> about it. And like, dude, like you're not going to be with these people. Why are, Why don't you just live in the moment and not worry about like, not have a girlfriend do you remember i think all of us at some point or another i don't know i can't speak for you steve i know me and pj talked about it oh yeah Um, but i mean we had to get to the inspiration for writing exclusively breakup songs yeah and i I think it's easy to look back on it now that way but then i don't know but in your guys's head it probably was like i this could be the girl that i'm gonna be with for forever you know like i know i thought that way i think it's so funny though how songs can be written from such a real and emotional place and then 20 years later it's really just the song like i mean it's when i think back about heart transplant now like i think way more about you guys than i think about the girl the girl that it was about you know and it's just like leaves the girl fades away and it just leaves the song and the band. And I think that that's cool how you can take something that was, you know, a reaction 
to being so upset and you really turn it into a, a, a thing to share with your, with your buds and your, your band and yeah. your fans. Hey, lastly, I wanted to ask you guys and also bring something up. Um, I think we, you talked about X-Fest in this one, right? Is this one we talked about? You guys talk about X-Fest? Yeah. And like, I know you posted some footage from that recently, Chris, and like, yes. that footage is crazy. And I think X-Fest was such a big part of like people that like music in Pittsburgh and I don't feel like there's been something like that that puts really big bands on a festival and also local bands on it until what we just announced that we're playing four chord music fest. And so like, I just wanted to hear your guys's experience with X fest. How was that? I thought it was amazing. And I didn't realize how cool it was until I saw that footage you posted. I was like, Whoa, we did two of them. I, I want to say gotcha. they were back to back years and both pretty big and both right in this time. Like one was around the rewind EP and then the other one was around this action action okay. time. Yeah. I remember one of the shows was with, dashboard confessional played and he watched our set and told us that we had good harmonies and we thought that was that was really cool Cool, steve nice. by the way another like what were we thinking chris carabo watched us our whole set he's like oh you guys you know you guys sounded good he stood on side stage and watched our whole set mm-hmm. like and after he gave us a phone number of somebody like i don't know if it was a manager or <sighs> something like that like call you know Call this guy, you know, talk, talk to him. And we didn't do it. Wow. Like, why? Oh, why didn't we do that? Like, I, don't even, I don't remember that. That's, you don't remember that's, that? That's wild. Yeah. But yeah, Mike, what was the drummer of Dashboard Confessional's name? Mike? Mike Marsh. Mike Marsh. Yeah, we met him so at that good. show. He went on to play drums in the Avid, Avid Brothers. Brothers. Yeah. And He's so good. I, I reconnected with him when I lived in Nashville, went to his studio a couple times and he was super cool. Yeah, those X-Fest, what was what was crazy about the X-Fest too is I feel like we had our snobby noses turned up at things like the X for a while because the X played like, they didn't really play punk. They played like, you know, radio Alpha rock James. bands and we yeah. were like too cool for that. But at that time, some of the bands from our world were starting to get played on the X. That's why you'd see Dashboard Confessional on an X-Fest, Unwritten Law on an X-Fest. Band, and we were like, oh, Okay, they're starting to play music. Some forty-one on the X stuff like right. that. So um, then it was cool that at those X Fest there were also bands like I I don't remember who exactly were on them, but like Mudvayne or something like that. <laughs> Hell <laughs> <You> yeah! <know? laughs> Looking back, I because we made this episode, I listened to this album. Like I ran on the treadmill and listened to this album, and like I can I listen to it now with like a no sort of ill will or hard feelings. Once again, I'll compare it to like an, an old relationship or something where it's like, Oh, I don't want to look at a picture of this old girlfriend. It'll just like make me upset or whatever. But now can look back on it and just be like, Oh, this is, this is great. Right. I mean, well, this was at the end. I mean that our lineup had been playing for years, touring for years, writing together for years, practicing for years. So, I mean, after this album, with the next album, was kind of like a beginning to recollect ourselves in this new iteration, which, which we'll get into. Um, hey, before we, before we bounce, I wanted to say, since we're all here, I know that this isn't going to come out on this day, but today, while we're recording this, is the five-year anniversary 
of our album Lion, which the four of us made together. And oh, yeah. uh, I'm really proud of it. Happy anniversary, you guys. Nice. Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, we did it. And Sick. we better release an album pretty soon. Five years between albums, man. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, not cool yeah. of us. Yeah. Not not cool, but we got to make it worth the wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, definitely. Let's all right. get it out. Well, yep. It was nice talking to you guys once again for a little reaction episode. I think we covered some good stuff here. And coming up next will be 37 Everywhere, which uh, I know, Trev, you'll get in that one a little bit. You were mm-hmm. a little part of that era. Uh, getting a little bit closer to Corey. <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> yeah. I have some more just stories that aren't connected to exactly the band but yeah more of that stuff coming on more of you know paul leaves after action but the 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 tension in pittsburgh continued for a while (laughs) yeah so we'll talk about that yeah yeah we'll get into it man i love the drama what a story it wouldn't be a good story without all the drama it should be on bravo (laughs) the real band guys of pittsburgh (laughs) (laughs) all right you guys you guys talking. made a hell hell of an album. Great album. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for making it. Still love playing those songs to this day. So Hell yeah. Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. I hope you're enjoying the A Band Called Punchline podcast. We put a lot of love into this pod and we'd appreciate any love that you could give back. Share it with your friends and family. Give us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, check out our music. We have tons of music wherever you choose to stream it. One really cool place to do that where you can even get songs that aren't available other places is on our Bandcamp site, which is punchline.bandcamp.com. You can also go to punchlinemusic.com where you'll find a bunch of links to places like our website, our TikTok, our merch store, our music special, and even a calculator that will tell you how many days old you are. Don't worry, you got lots of days left, but I hope you all live every day like there's no tomorrow. And most importantly, thank you. If you made it this far and you're hearing me say this, you really do care. And I can't tell you how much that means to all of us in Punchline, which is why we continue to make music today. Hell yeah. Pitchfork said absolutely nothing about the Vipers album, Spread the Poison. But punk fan Brock Renata said, Blah! Yeah! The punk is motherfucker! Yeah!
Check out the Vipers album, Spread the Poison, streaming everywhere now, including down your leg.